Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There is no time to wait, so let's begin. This episode is brought to you by Oracle for Startups. Hey all, welcome back. This is Startup Grind Global Podcast. This is Chris Jonu. And today we have a fun one. We have uh, venture capitalist SC Moadi. Loved having this conversation with SC. She's a managing partner at Mighty Capital. And I love the premise of the of the um, of the fund there. Check it out. She can surround your business with a bunch of product managers, and that's because she's also the founder of Products Account. Uh, prior to that, she was very early at Facebook, being one of the product leaders over at Facebook, thus products account, and also is also an MBA from Stanford and now lectures um, their graduate school. Love the conversation. Hope you do too. Cheers. Welcome, SC. Thank you very much for joining me this morning. Yes, it's my pleasure. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I... Um, very excited today to talk to you. Um, you have such an incredible bio and I love hearing these stories. I want to um, start by taking you back a little bit. That's what I usually do and ask the question, was there a mother or father that was an entrepreneur? Yes, there was. <laughs> my, um, my dad was an entrepreneur and I generally come from a family of entrepreneurs. Well, can you elaborate a little bit? And I'm, I'm detecting a bit of an accent. So, where where was this? Where were you born? And and what? Why why was your father? What what did your father do? Yes, I um I was born in uh, in France. I grew up in in Paris, in France. Uh, my father owned a, a small business, and almost everyone in my dad's family is a business owner. Um, they mostly, to be honest, they mostly own self-funded businesses. And so for them to see me have, you know, a first career in big corporations like uh, Facebook and Electronic Arts and Nokia, they were like, what planet do you live on? <laughs> and then to, <laughs> to move into venture capital, right? Like, um, so venture funded companies. Um, they were like, what, what are you thinking? We, you could just like build a business that makes its own money rather than take investors' money. Um, so I'm, I'm still a bit of a, an oddity in the family, but definitely I has, have a lot of the uh, entrepreneur DNA. Absolutely. And, and, and so growing up in Paris, you know, what was that like? What was your education? Yeah, so I, it was very different than, you know, Silicon Valley education. I, I grew up and um, I, I was very good in, in math and science. So I became an engineer. Uh, my true passion was um, to study ancient Greek and things like that. So I, I thought I, I could one day become a, a writer. And, you know, anyways, I, I did eventually publish a book, but it was a business book. So I grew up in a very different environment than the Silicon Valley you know, innovation environment, but I was very passionate about changing the world and innovation from a very you know, early stage. We, 
we got yeah, at home some of the first computers and and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then were you just were you hooked? Was it just you'd love to get get in on the computer? Yes and no. I yeah, you know, I really loved math and science. That is for sure. I really loved uh, <laughs> Greek languages in general, and um, and my grandfather was an engineer. So I that's you know that's why I decided I was going to become an engineer. But then when I actually became an engineer, I was never a very good one. <laughs> I had a lot more of a business mind. And so I quickly realized that um, in my career, I wasn't going to be successful in technical roles. And so I um, decided to get an MBA. And that's how I ended up moving to Silicon Valley, going to, you know, I went to Stanford Business School, and then starting my career as a product manager. And that's what I spent, you know, a dozen years doing at various companies, um, alternating between, you know, starting my own company and being a product manager, product leader, general manager, what have you, um, in larger companies. And, and, and as you land in Silicon Valley, um, you know, is it, is it kind of this, is it everything you imagine? Is it, is it that electricity in the air around entrepreneurship? I mean, I've, the first time I went to Silicon Valley, I was, it was just kind of crazy to hear like, you know, kids at the bus stop talking about valuations. And, you know, like I imagine that like at Stanford, it would have just been like, you know, 10 times that a hundred times that, what was that? What was that like? Yes. Yes. You're, you're bringing me back to, to these early days. I, you know, I remember my first few years in Silicon Valley and I thought I was in paradise and literally in paradise, it's always gorgeous weather. People are super nice, brilliant. It's like, wow, <laughs> I, I am in paradise. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, so it's kind of a funny story. I remember thinking like, how long is this gonna last that I feel I'm in paradise? And I was looking to buy a car. I had a very, very low budget, like I had a, I think $2,000 budget to buy a car. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I find one on, on Craigslist at the time. And when I walk out to, to meet the, the owner of the car, I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, this good. person has been there for a few years. So I'm going to see if they think it's paradise. And mm -hmm. I get into the car and there's a, a skylight. And this woman who's about to sell me her car is looking at the sun with a big smile on her face, you know, through the skylight. And I'm like, my God, it's going to last at least five years, this feeling of being in paradise. <laughs> and it really did. I mean, it, it's, an, it's a magical place. And, and, and okay, so then um, out of Stanford, where, where, do you, where do you end up? So I graduated during the, the bust uh, post.com. Mm -hmm. And so I remember thinking like it was really hard to get a job. And I asked a few mentors, like, I want to become an entrepreneur. What should I do? And they said, get a product management role at a well-managed company. And so mm -hmm. I joined Siebel Systems, mm -hmm. which um, for those of you who are ancient like me, the company had a reputation for being very well-managed, but really, really tough culture, very sales-driven, 
The dress code was business formal, which is extremely rare in Silicon Valley. And it was definitely um, a great learning for me, like learning to, you know, sell software and support, you know, a, a sales team in in making um, making money with software. So I really, I really loved that that experience and learned a lot. And, and then what was it? Um, so had, then then how do you flip to the product management side? So it sounds like more of a sales role to start, but it's always good for everyone, I think, to at least do some, you know, part of their career in sales, right? We're all selling. Yes, yes. I, I wish I had been in a sales role back then. I, I started in a product role and, of course, you know, in a company that was as sales-driven as Siebel Systems, we were all doing sales. But, you know, there are very few things I, I would do differently in my career if um, if there could be one, I would I would have a job in sales way earlier than than I, I've had because, like you said, it's such an important skill for any entrepreneur. But anyways, I started in product at Siebel, and then as much as I loved it, I I also realized that um, I would prefer to be building products for consumers. Mm -hmm. And so I transitioned to work for Electronic Arts and then Nokia. And then I started my own company. And then we sold it and I ended up uh, at Facebook as a result of that. And wow. all of that was mostly product roles. Okay, so, um, so uh, Electronic Arts, then Nokia, both kind of secure, uh, you know, secure places to be, I suppose. Was Facebook still like, even though they had acquired you from, from sounds of things, was that still like a, a kind of a, a risky move or was that, when did you get, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to lead somewhere that maybe it's not gonna go, um, but what, how do you, well, tell me the story how you end up at Facebook. We'll start there. Yeah, so you're asking, you know, you worked for some pretty big companies how did you get the entrepreneurial bug? I kind yeah. of skip chapters, right? Like every, pretty much all the time that since I graduated from Stanford, I was always working on my own thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, most of the time I, I'm talking to an audience of entrepreneurs. So 99% of my ideas were bad ones. Right. So I always have this side hustle going until I'm realizing that no, this is not a good idea. Let me get to the next one. Mm -hmm. And um, between, for example, between Siebel Systems and Electronic Parts, I actually started a, a gaming company. And wow. we had a team and we had, you know, some really good momentum, early momentum. And then uh, my co-founder, who, who was a, an executive at Electronic Parts, said, hey, why don't we go build this at Electronic Arts? And it was a better move <laughs> than to do it on our own. So at any point in time, there was that, I'm going to do my own thing and then realizing that that's a you know, bad idea, wrong team, wrong timing, yeah. you know, better off doing it this other place and so on and so forth. At, um, when I was at Nokia, I was part of the software division, which you know, even though it had the, the Nokia brand, which is, which is awesome, 
it was a software, it was a startup yeah. organization, separate office, separate culture, separate everything. And we were constantly pitching to the Nokia headquarters as our investors to get additional funding. Right. Um, yeah. And so, you know, alternating between this and that. And then when I left Nokia, I worked for uh, another startup, Tango, which some of you may remember, they were doing mobile video calling, very successful at the time, um, was, was growing. And you have to go back 10 years and, and realize how unusual it was. Like the company was acquiring a million new users every day. Wow. And that that's huge, except, you know, when you compare that to today, Facebook has, you know, billions of users and WhatsApp and so on. It's like, well, that's it, 1 million users every day. <laughs> but that was massive. The growth of that company was incredible. Um, and was and it, so, were you ready for that? Was I ready for that? Um, we, we, as a team, uh, nobody was, was ready for it. We had... <laughs> crashes we had you know we needed more money all the time more people uh hiring frenzy lots of turnover because when you hire too quickly you hire the wrong people um so you know the Silicon valley is a paradise but it's also extremely competitive and extremely honestly ruthless mm -hmm. so this idea that you know you're gonna go start a company make it big and you know then give back to the world or, or something it, it's really very much a, a myth mm -hmm. you're always sort of doing something between you know working at a big company to put some money on the side getting your side hustle looking for other people to start another company. So you always sort of have a lot of irons in the fire, basically. Um, okay. and, and so that's kind of how it, it tends to work. Yeah, so I should have, yeah, I mean, I should have, um, wasn't, um, yeah, I think you got it right in that, you know, I'm, I imagine, I already kind of knew that, you know, Nokia and Electronic Arts would have been super innovative companies anyway, like a startup, but it's, uh, thank you for, 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 for clarifying and then and then what tango gets acquired by facebook so tango i i was uh one of the early employees there and then i left to start my own company uh -huh. called rendezvous and i had this for a while it was um in the early days of the mobile revolution so we built a team we built a really good product and ultimately we sold it um and you know at the time uh, again, you, you have to go back and, and remember some of the articles you were seeing where, wow, Facebook is going to die because it's not, you know, embracing mobile. It doesn't, you know, uh -huh. have a good mobile app or mobile strategy. And so Facebook at that time was, um, was really struggling with mobile. And that's how I ended up there. And, right. um, it was very early in the life of the company. Um, it was a, you know, a very fun experience of another experience of very fast growth. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Uh, yes, for sure. Um, you know, they, they were 
a lot of um, a lot of things that were really amazing about the the culture. For example, you probably heard, you know, move fast and break things and uh, the hacker way and things like that. So when I joined, um, one of the things, and I still take that with me, one of the things that uh, the company did is as a product manager or product leader, you didn't really own something for a very long time, mm -hmm. a product, right? So you, I, I started... Uh, my, my team was handling all the different notification channels. So all the emails, all the SMS, all the push notifications. And it was pretty big. We were sending 3 billion a day at the time. <laughs> so yeah, so just the sheer numbers. But that was sort of something that, you know, I, I worked on for maybe a, a year or so. And then it was like, okay, so you've, you know, scratched the surface, like you've made some improvements, like taking care of the, the most pressing items. Let's go move on to another product line where there are really important things to do, right? And so there was this culture of rather than sort of settle into owning something, Mm -hmm. and make improvements which may generate diminishing returns, let's just reallocate people all the time to the most pressing problems. And was that fun or was that stressful? That, that, that's fun and exhausting at the same time. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's the right thing to do. It keeps you on your toes. It, it's, uh, and it, it advances the, the business in the most efficient way. So there was that culture which was really interesting and you know fun and exhausting at the same time and then in parallel there was the the need for the company to you know to grow up a little bit and in particular to adopt a more stable approach to building products because of this mobile revolution right because when you think about it when you have a a website that's free right which was what Facebook was at the time. Well, the the you know the cost of a mistake is is pretty much zero, right? You can fix a website within a few hours, right? It goes back, it comes, it comes, um, it, it goes down, it comes back up in a few hours, and it's free, so it's not such a big deal. But when you do this on a mobile app, you have like a poorly performing mobile app, it, it actually sticks with you, right? You get bad reviews and ratings, people delete the app. So it, it, it doesn't just go away. And so there was a big shift in the culture yep. from that, you know, hacker, you know, flavor of the day, move fast and break things mentality towards more of a, move fast, but don't break things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please and don't. And in fact, they changed the culture, the, 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 the culture value, the values of the company to, to be that, right? What it used to be move fast and break things and then it became just move fast. And, and was there like, um, I think it was the uh, Reed Hoffman's Masters of Scale podcast when he was um, from memory, but was there was literally this kind of shift to don't talk to me unless it's about mobile right yeah there was that for sure 
just let nobody do anything but mobile, <laughs> right? But they the way the way that this happened was it really interesting because, you know, at first the organization, like I said, was really resisting it. Oh, mobile is just another, um, you know, um, browser, or it's just another screen size. So we're going to do everything in HTML5, which that was a failure. And so then the company created a small mobile team, which I, I was a part of, saying like, okay, you guys do the mobile app thing. Right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the mobile app thing is becoming really successful. And so all the other teams, all the other product teams, like the newsfeed team and the photo team and the event team are like, wait a minute, that's my news team. <laughs> Uh, that's my news feed, that's my photo, that's my event, I want it, right? So then there's a big reorg saying, okay, now there's no more mobile team. Now every product team owns cross-platform. So the mobile team is disbanded and people are allocated to the various product teams. And that works well, right? So now the news feed team produces for desktop, Android, iPhone, like all the different, you know, variations. Mm -hmm. And that works really well until there's a very, very bloated mobile release that crashes all the time because the newsfeed team is packing it with like a bunch of stuff. And so does the event and the photo teams. And so it's so bloated that the performance crashes, right? So yeah. the formerly mobile team, the former mobile team is like, hey, hey, I told you so, right? You guys need to listen to us. So then mm -hmm. there's another reorg to recreate a portion of the mobile team and so on and so forth. So for a couple of years, there was a lot of flip-flop there. Interesting. I mean, like, and I'm just thinking like some apps I developed, I think, you know, pretty early on and this kind of nightmare of just getting it done and then iOS changing everything like i imagine apple's talking to you all so you kind of know it's coming but that must have been a real headache as well uh yes so we had good relationships with apple but they they're a pretty secret company um the you know the culture of facebook is very open the culture of apple is very closed mm -hmm. so even though we had good relationships it it's not like I mean, you, you see some of the challenges right now between the two companies. So it was more cordial at the time, mm -hmm. primarily, I think, because Facebook was also smaller and therefore less powerful. And now it's more like, a, you know, competitors, giant competitors. Mm. But was there like, so there was no indication that now everything needs to change to a new screen size kind of thing? <laughs> well, that Some was just fun. part of the part of the fun yeah <laughs> um all right so and then mo moving on um so obviously pretty early at facebook and i think it's kind of um set you up for um vc i guess um but in between or is you know correct me where i'm wrong um you start products account which is one of the largest networks of product managers so no no small no small side hustle here. How did, how did that kind of come about? And, and am I missing something significant in between? 
Yeah, so price account started very small. When I left Facebook, it's, you know, Facebook is sort of like when you work in, you know, investment banking or consulting, right? If you work there, the company kind of owns you. So you're 24 seven. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I just was no longer, you know, willing to, to do that. I was invited to do so many other really exciting things. I was invited to, to teach. I was invited to be on boards. I was invited to, uh, in particular, write a book on what makes a great product. Mm -hmm. And so the combination of all that, it's like either or, either or, and then difficult decision, but I, I left Facebook and I started writing this book. And as I was putting together my, my own stories for the book, and starting to interview my peers, right, other product executives, I realized that there was no place for product leaders to share best practices and network. Mm -hmm. And so I started Products That Count initially as a, you know, like a dinner series at my house. And then it grew um, to what it is today. Um, and it's been now, a little over five years. So, you know, the scale of the organization now, it's think of it as a, a you know, niche media organization. We publish content every day. Um, we have a, a top 500 tech podcast. That's a weekly show. We have a weekly editorial, weekly videos, weekly articles, weekly everything. Mm -hmm. um, and all the programming is produced by product executives still, which is, that's the hard part to replicate, right? That's the valuable part. Um, and, and that network, it's been fascinating to see the growth, right? Because in particular in the past two years, product management went from something that really only tech companies do and understand to something that's cross industry, cross geography, and absolutely a must have for any company who's going through a digital transformation. Yeah. And wow. product managers are becoming like massive decision makers of the purchase of any technology project product. So for a lot of your listeners, for example, if you're building a you know, tech like SaaS product that you sell to enterprises, chances are a VP of product or a director of product is involved in the buying decision of your own product and service. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden these product managers became really critical in the, the you know, innovation ecosystem across industries and geographies. And, and, and a lot of them had not been sending out 3 billion Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And, and they were more, you know, if you want, they were more project managers. So mm. just like making sure things got done. Right. But now they are decision makers. Many of them hold budgets. Many of them are, you know, on a path to being in the C-suite. There's even a role that's a chief product officer. Right. And right now people think like, oh, what does a chief product officer do? And it reminds me like 10, 15 years ago when people were like, oh, what does a chief marketing officer do? Like they do TV ads, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now chief marketing officers are really powerful, right? 
So I think chief product officers are on exactly the same path. Okay. And, and you know, the, the rise of products that count is what led me to start a venture firm. Right. Because I was um, angel investing and, you know, I was basically going to my network saying like, hey, you know, I, I want to invest in great companies and I can give them access to some great product people. And so people started to say, oh, you should get SC to invest in your company because she's going to give you access to all these product people that are, you know, pretty innovative and they can be helpful to you. And then that opportunity became so big that it was, you know, deeper than my own pockets. And so I decided to raise a fund for it. Incredible. And that's Mighty Capital. It's brilliant. And, 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 and it's like the thesis around like, very kind of product driven? It is, yeah. So we basically, you know, when I talk to entrepreneurs, I tell them, look, you know, can you make use of 300,000 product managers? <laughs> and, yep. and if I see their, you know, their, their jaw is going to be dropping, like, what do you mean? These are my customers, of course. Then I know that we're going to be able to really help them and, and we are likely going to get into the, the deal right as investors and then sometimes the reaction i get is who are product managers right or what would i do with so many product managers i only need one you know mm -hmm. then i know that we're probably not a good fit for that company and then how like okay so just using that as um as a scenario i mean i think um i guess in the community and we i do want to talk about community a little bit as well um do they just are they bombarding the, these these founders with um, advice? Not exactly. Um, we have various ways that we connect the dots, right? And we're we're always adding more. But I'll give you a couple of examples. We yes. we were investors in Amplitude, and All Amplitude right, yeah. says, um, "Hey, thank to you know." products that count, mighty capital, I see, what have you. We've been able to generate millions of dollars in revenue and we've accelerated our sales cycle by 30%. And mm -hmm. how we did that is by inviting them to some of our exclusive invite-only executive product salon, right? So we put them in front of 40 potential customers just all at once. So it's right. very scalable, right? It's not what most venture firms will do, which is like, oh, I know a product manager. Let me look on LinkedIn and make an introduction. You know, mm -hmm. it's like here, here's 40 and I don't need to be in the middle. You can be there and connect with them face to face or right now, you know, by Zoom, obviously, um, and, and pitch to them directly. Or, you know, another thing we do is um, we're investors in another company, um, Blue Dot. And Blue Dog has this, company. I'm sorry? The Australian company? The Australian company, exactly. Um, and they have an amazing solution that's like hyper-precise location-based solution, which to a lot of product managers at you know, Oracle, Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, what have you, is super valuable. And so what we do with them is we work with them in partnership on our annual product awards where we say, you know, our product awards are all about like, what are the best products? And Blue Dot is saying, well, we power 
the best product, right? The product that McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, and, and all these companies are, are developing for their millions of customers. Um, another example, and I can go on and on, I'll just give you one more. Um, we're investors in another company, an e-commerce company called Skylar. And they just released a really nice new branded product, which is a, like for the holidays, they have a, a really cool candle, holiday candle. And in our newsletter and in our weekly webinars, we say, hey, if you want to gift your loved ones, you know, during COVID something special, you can use our discount code, right? It's a special thing we negotiate with them and, and gift your loved ones a beautiful candle from one of our portfolio companies. Mm-hmm. So there's nice. just lots of different ways that we, uh, we support them. I was thinking as you were talking about Amplitude, I imagine those founders were quite technical too, right? So they, they would get the benefit of, um you know, more of the, the marketing side, I suppose, of, of, of product management when they're, or the, you know, the customer experience side of product management that they probably aren't, weren't thinking about? Um, yes and no. So we actually invest um, at a slightly later stage. We invest in a series A or a series B. So founders oh. that are more like on the early side, like if you're a seed stage founder or even pre-seed, um, we're not a really good fit for investing, but you know the truth is you can still benefit from the products that count network. You can still attend, you know, right now during COVID, everything is virtual, but in, in normal life, uh, we run you know, hundreds of events all over North America, some international. So you can still go meet, you know, at any one of our events, there's anywhere from one to 200 product managers. You can you know, show them your stuff, get some feedback and get to know us this way. In fact, that's how Amplitude, Blue Dot and all these companies, that's how they get to know us through products that count. They attend events, they read our newsletter. They're like, oh, this is cool. I'm benefiting from this. Um, now I wanna take this relationship to a more strategic level and you know I'm scaling, so let me see if Mighty Capital would invest. Nice. And the hey. benefit from the you know the products that count network, products that count is a is a non for profit organization, so everything is free, everything is open to everyone. It's um, you know the way that I I give back right, and I try to say like innovation is for everybody right, because I'm not from Silicon Valley, so I I want it to be for everyone. And so you've mentioned a couple of great, great startups, just, you know, in, in those examples. So um, the, the fund must be going pretty well. Is the it? The fund is doing great. Yes. Yeah. We're very and, happy. And so what, what next? Well, we just raised uh, our second fund mm-hmm. uh, during COVID. <laughs> And it's, uh, and it's also just like the first one, it's, it's oversubscribed. Um, we, we were investors in Airbnb. So hopefully when the lockout period, you know, expires, we'll be very happy investors as well. And so, you know, that's uh, sort of what we're looking for um, on the mighty capital side when it comes to 2021. 
And then on the products that count side, we've been really thinking about helping product managers think about building great products more strategically. So there's a couple of things that we, we've been working on that are gonna be unfolding in 2021. One is uh, what we call a product acceleration platform, which is a very uh, progressive way for any product manager to become, to, to learn the craft of product. Uh, no matter how junior, how senior they are, it's a you know progressive experience that has depth and breadth and really helps keep them sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing we're super excited about. And then the other thing we've been thinking about is uh, building great products. You know, especially when you think about what's going to happen after COVID, right? When yeah. what's been happening in 2020 is everybody's been holding their breath, like. <gasps> I'm going to survive. And then when COVID is over, like I'll do all these, you know, new cool things that I can't do right now. So what we anticipate is that in the second half of next year, there's going to be like a frenzy of catching up and, you know, competition and, you know, a lot of cutthroat activity among, you know, in the economy in general, people saying like, okay, I've waited long enough. Now let me, you know, release that new product or enhance the month or something. And so we've been thinking a lot about how do we help product managers get ahead of that and claim market leadership for their product. And so we've been thinking about what does it mean to do category design and and things like that. So um, we're we're putting together some material to, to help them become, you know, call that category kings, if you want. That's great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I just interviewed uh, the podcast that'll go out this week is um, um, Seedlip. And this, uh, this guy from from the UK, he created the category of um, um, non alcoholic distilled spirits. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and they're exceptional. And he was just kind of tinkering around and he's his yard so not tech but i love these kind of um you know he's got to go up against some some pretty big giants in the in the um in the beverage world to get this product range and anyway he's flying now diageo's invested and stuff but i love category design yeah yeah just thinking thinking bigger and and new and not a you know a, a you know minor change on what's already there right exactly that's exactly right um, well, look, thank you very much, Essie, for joining me. I really loved the chat. Um, so if anyone is looking to, to learn more about you, they've got the book, you can read the book. If they're a product manager or, or a, you know, aspiring product manager, they can check out products account. If they're a great um, entrepreneur, they can see you for the fund. Don't, don't bug Essie unless you've got something great. <laughs> and, and if you uh, want to reach me uh, i'll give you my email as well it's uh, sc at mighty.capital no.com just mighty.capital that's the one well thank you very much for joining me and uh yeah i hope to get to to meet you in person sometime on the other side same here thanks for having me thanks sc thank you for tuning in To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at any event in a city near you. Until next time.
Chase the vision and keep hustling.